Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, a few weeks ago, in connection with Lord's Day 32 of the Heidelberg Catechism, we considered how God's Word teaches us that believers must live a life of good works. We saw that Christ himself said words to to that effect. He said, for example, in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone that says says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. When we are believers, sinners who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we must do the will of God. Which is the same thing as saying we must live a life of good works. And then we looked a little at at why that is a must. Why living a life of good works, a life of thankful obedience to God is so necessary. Maybe though you wondered, okay, but how can we actually do that? I mean, when we've been saved, when we've been saved, we're still sinners. Yes, we're, we're forgiven, we're washed, we're cleansed, but, but we remain sinners. So how does a life of, of good works happen? Well, it happens through a life of conversion. Conversion at its core is refers to turning to the Lord, not, not turning to the Lord in our own strength, no, turning to the Lord as a result of the Holy Spirit's sovereign, regenerating work. Another word you could use, and the Bible sometimes uses, that's similar in meaning, meaning is, is repentance. Sometimes we think of conversion as something that just happens when you become a Christian. That's the way we think of it, for example, when someone asks the question, well, when were, you, when were you converted? But conversion, biblically speaking, is not something that happens just when you first become a Christian. It's really something that should mark the whole life of a Christian. In other words, the Christian life is essentially a life of turning to the Lord. A life of conversion. A life of repentance. There are many passages in Scripture that make that very clear. We could think of something like Colossians 3 or, or others as well. But, but that's why you see that the very first of Martin Luther's 95 theses was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life of believers must be one of repentance. That's how a life of good good works happens. The life of good works is the fruit of a life of conversion. But but what does that mean? What does a life of conversion look like? Well, that's why we read about King Josiah. If I were to ask you, children, here, what's the most remarkable thing about King Josiah? What would you say? What would you say is the most amazing thing about Josiah? My guess is that most of us would say, probably most of us adults too, would 
would say that it was when he became king. How old he was when he became king? Because he became king at a really young age, didn't he? Do you remember how old he was? He was eight. Only eight years old. Imagine that. Imagine becoming a king at eight years old. That's pretty remarkable. But you know what? That's not the most remarkable thing about King Josiah. The most remarkable thing about Josiah was his life of conversion. That's what our text, 2 Kings 23, verse 25 says. If you have your Bibles openly, you can look again at, at that verse. Verse 25 of 2 Kings 23, it says there that, And like unto him, like unto Josiah, was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses? Neither after him arose there any like him. In other words, Josiah turned to the Lord in a way that no other king of Judah or Israel ever did. And, and so even though the circumstances and the time of his life, they're very different than, than ours, his life still serves as a model, an example of the life of conversion. And so with God's help, we want to hear and apply the Bible's teaching on the life of conversion summarized for us in Lord's Day 33 through the lens, really, of King Josiah's life. And so our theme is, is this, Josiah's exemplary life of conversion or the life of conversion exemplified, modeled in King Josiah. We'll see, first of all, it's a life of turning from sin. And secondly, it's a life of turning to the Lord, turning to the Lord from sin, turning to the Lord in sincerity, and thirdly, turning to the Lord in obedience. So, first of all, the life of conversion is a life of turning to the Lord from sin. Our text, our text doesn't say anything, of course, about Josiah turning away from sin. But it does say that he turned to the Lord. And that implies that he was turned away from the Lord. He was turned toward sin. You see, the word for turn here refers to, to a 180 degree turn, a, really a, a U-turn is, is, is what the word uh, literally means. And so conversion, turning to the Lord, necessarily means at the same time turning away from sin. And we see that in Josiah's life. To put it another way, we see in Josiah's life the two parts of true conversion spoken of in, in question and answer 88 of the catechism. The mortification, the, the, the putting to death of the old man and, and the, the quickening, the bringing to life of the new man. The life of conversion includes both. It, it's a life of turning to the Lord from sin. But what is turning what is turning away from sin look like? What does it involve? Well, think about Josiah for a minute. Josiah's father. Who was Josiah's father? His father was Ammon. Amon. Who was Josiah's grandfather? Manasseh. And both those men were extremely wicked, wicked men. Thankfully, King Manasseh, by the sovereign grace of God, he, he did humble himself before the Lord and, and repented. But his son Amon, Josiah's father, never did. We read in Second Chronicles that he, he did not humble himself as Manasseh, but he trespassed more and more. 
And so Josiah, he did not grow up in what we might call a Christian home, a, a godly home. No, he grew up in a family that served and worshipped idols. A family that had forsaken the Lord and did not walk in his ways. And Josiah by nature was no different. But then something happened. Something changed. We, we don't read about that in Second Kings. We, we just read that Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father. And turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And you might think then that, that that's just what he always did. But in the parallel passage in Second Chronicles 34, verse 3, we're told that it wasn't always that way. It says there that in the eighth year of his reign, right? So he became king at eight years old. So how old would he have been in the eighth year of his reign? Sixteen, right? Sixteen. While he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And when you begin to do something, what does that mean? That means you didn't do that before. So what did Josiah do before? Well, he did what his family did. He did what his father and grandfather did. He worshipped and served idols and other gods. Not only because that's simply the way he was raised, but because that's what we all do by nature as fallen children of Adam and Eve. But at age 16, while he was still young, something changed. A change happened. He began to turn away from those idols. He began to turn away from sin and to the Lord. Already here, can't we say he's such an example for, for us? Especially for young people. What an example for us to begin to seek the Lord while you are young. Have you begun? To seek the Lord. Josiah. Josiah began at an early age to turn away from sin. But when you read about his life, you see that continuing. You see him, for one thing, sorrowing over sin. You think about when the book of the law was found in the temple and read to him in the 18th year of his reign. So how would he have been in the 18th year of his reign? 8 plus 18, 26. Most likely this book that they found was the book of Deuteronomy written by Moses. But, but what happened when Josiah heard that book, that law of God being read? What did he do? He tore his clothes. Why? Because tearing the clothes in those days, it was a sign of great sorrow, great grief. And you see, Josiah realized when he heard the law how bad the nation of Judah had become, how much they had sinned, and he was sorry about that. He was sorrowful about that. He was sorry for how they had provoked God by their sins. When he sent to inquire of the Lord concerning the words of the book, he said, Great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according to all that, that which is written concerning us. Matthew Henry, Matthew Henry says that the rending of Josiah's clothes signified the rending of his heart for the dishonor done to God and the ruin he saw coming upon his people. Josiah sorrowed for sin. And you might say, well, yeah, but that was a sin of, of, of the nation. Yes, it was. But it reflects the sorrow for sin that he had in his own heart, that he had over the sins in his own life. So the question we might ask ourselves, do we, do we sorrow over sin? 
Do we, are we sorry that we have provoked God by our sins? We see sorrow for sin in Josiah's life, but we also see increasing hatred and fleeing from sin. You see that especially in, in, in verses 4 through 20 of chapter 23, that it really gives us a list of all the reforms of, that, that Josiah did and, and, and probably even before the book of the law was discovered. We, we see that if you look at Second Chronicles, you'll see the, you'll understand the order there. But the point is we, we see him doing all these things and we see him, we see him, what do we see him doing? We see him taking out and burning the vessels in the temple that were used to worship idols. We see him removing idol worshiping and idol promoting priests. We see him taking the grove, that, that wooden image of Asherah, the pagan goddess of fertility from the temple. He, and he burns it and he crushes it to ashes and he defiles it by throwing the ashes on the graves of the common people. We see him tearing down the apartments in the temple that were be, being used for prostitution and other forms of immorality. We see him defiling, making the high places unclean. And, and Tophet, you know what Tophet was? That, that place of child sacrifice. So that they could never be used for such wickedness again. We see him getting rid of and destroying things devoted to the worship of the sun. As well as the idolatrous altars built by Ahaz and Manasseh. We see him defiling, making the high places unclean that Solomon had built for the different pagan gods of his many wives. We see him breaking down sacred pillars and cutting down wooden images and filling their places with the bones of men. We see him even going to Bethel in the northern kingdom of Israel and destroying the altar and the high place that Jeroboam had built in fulfillment of prophecy. And we see him going further into the northern kingdom, doing the same thing elsewhere in the cities of Samaria, even slaying the priests of the, high place, of the high places that were there. Now, now when you read that list, it's an impressive, impressive list. And, and we could go on to in verse 24, he, 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 he puts away the, 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 the sorcerers and the people who worked with, with superstition and magic. And he did all these things. And what does this tell us about Josiah? It tells us that he didn't just sorrow over sin, but he hated it and he fled from it. He wanted to keep far away and he wanted to keep Judah as far away from it as possible. And you see, that's all part of what true conversion involves. It involves turning away from sin. It involves mortification, the putting to death of the old man. And that includes, as it says in answer 89, a sincere sorrow of heart that we have provoked God by our sins and more and more to hate and to flee from them. And we, we see that in Josiah's life, don't we? But what about our own lives? What about your life? What about my life? You see, Josiah's response to sin is an example for us of what our response towards sin should be. No, we are not called to go through Canada and burn down places of modern idolatry or things like that. That's not the lesson here. We are not kings, and this is not Old Testament Israel. No, the lesson is much closer to home. It's about how we're dealing with the sins in our own hearts and lives. Are we sorry for our sins? 
Are we sorry that we provoke God by them? Do we hate them? And is that hatred of our sin, is, is our hatred growing? Do we flee from them? How is that showing? That's what turning away from sin involves. But, but the life of conversion is not only about turning away from sin, it's about turning to the Lord. And we see that in Josiah's life too, don't we? It started again when he was 16, when he began to seek God. But it didn't stop there. It continued. We see him turning to the Lord in his commanding that the house of the Lord be repaired. We see him turning to the Lord in his making a covenant before the Lord to walk after, to follow him, and to keep his commandments and his testimonies in, and his statutes. We see him turning to the Lord in his keeping the Passover feast, that feast that pointed ultimately to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does all this tell us about Josiah? What, what do we see when we read all these things about him? We see a man who rejoices in God through Christ, through the Savior of sinners that the Passover pointed to and foreshadowed. We see a man who loves and who delights in the Lord and in his law. And again, isn't that all part of what true conversion involves? It involves not only turning away from sin, putting to death the old man, but it involves turning to the Lord, the bringing to life of a new man. And one of the things that includes is a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ. And it includes, too, with, to, with, to live with love and delight according to the will of God in all good works. And we'll look more specifically at that part, the part about obedience later on. But the point is, we see in the life of King Josiah a continual turning from sin and turning to the Lord. And so again, do we see that? Do we see that in our own lives? Josiah's life, you see, is an example for us. Are we following that example? Do we rejoice in God through Christ? Do we love and delight in Him? How is that showing in your life and in mine? Is our life, are our lives a lives of turning from sin to the Lord? It should be. It should be because, because that's the life of conversion. It's a life of turning to the Lord from sin. But that's not all it is. And my second and third points are shorter than my first points. So don't be too concerned. That's not all it is. It's also a life of turning to the Lord in sincerity. A life of conversion is a life of turning to the Lord in sincerity. Our text, our text, or Josiah there, he, he didn't turn to the Lord half-heartedly, did he? He didn't turn to the Lord hypocritically, no. Our text makes special mention of that. Like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. Those, those three withalls, they, they emphasize, they underscore for us Josiah's complete sincerity in turning to the Lord. His full sincerity. He wasn't being two-faced in this. No, Josiah's life was a life of turning to the Lord from sin in sincerity. 
His sorrow for sin, to use the words of the catechism, was a sincere sorrow of heart. And his joy in God was a sincere joy of heart. You think again about when the book of the law was found and read in his hearing. How he rent his, his clothes. That was a sign of sorrow. But it wasn't fake sorrow. It wasn't worldly sorrow. It was real, sincere, godly, wholehearted sorrow for sin. We know that because when he sends men to Huldah, the prophetess, to inquire of the Lord, the Lord commends him. He commends him for his sorrow. Because, he says, thine heart, it was a heart sorrow. Thine heart was tender. And thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and has rent thy clothes and wept before me. I also have heard thee, says the Lord. And he, then he promises him that he will gather him unto his fathers in, in, in peace. And his eyes will not see the evil which, which the Lord will bring upon this place. The point is the Lord recognized the genuineness of Josiah's sorrow. And we see too, we see it too, don't we, in, in how thoroughly he dealt with idolatry. He was out, he was out. When you, when you read that list of reforms, it's, it's, it's very impressive. He was out to get rid of the sin of idolatry and false worship completely. He wasn't interested in allowing even a single high place to remain or a single altar to Baal or Asherah to be left. No, he wanted it all gone. He stopped at nothing. And all of that shows us how wholehearted, how sincere, how genuine Josiah was in his sorrow and hatred for sin and in his fleeing from it. Isn't that something to, to think about? Isn't that something to examine ourselves for? You think about some of the sins that you struggle with. The sins you, you go to God in prayer and you ask Him, maybe every day, maybe even more than once a day, you, have, you find yourself asking Him for His forgiveness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's covetousness, discontentment. Maybe it's gossip and slander or verbal abuse of others. Maybe it's, it's disrespect. You know, you know, you, you think about your own life. You know what sins that you're, you're prone to. Now, now think about how you're dealing with them. Are you dealing with them thoroughly like Josiah? Are you dealing with them radically? Are you, am I, putting them to death? You see, that's what Christians are to do. We are to stop at nothing in putting our sin to death. Too often, too often we, and too easily we can justify our sins. We can excuse our sins. We can shrug our shoulders and say, well, hey, we're, we're all sinners. We can't be perfect. We refuse to deal radically and thoroughly with our sins. But that's not the way we should be living as Christians. That's not living the life of, of conversion. When we're living the life of conversion, then we won't be interested in, in excusing or rationalizing or defending or minimizing our sins. 
No, but we'll own up to them. We'll confess them. We'll, we'll be sorry for them. We'll be ashamed because of them. We'll loathe, the, we'll loathe and humble ourselves because of them. And we'll hate them. And we'll forsake them. We'll be out to kill them. All of them. That, that's what the life of, of conversion is like. It's a sincere, a wholehearted, whole person turning away from sin. Does that describe your, your life? If we're honest, even as Christians, don't we have to admit how far we fall short even in our repentance? That's why the Puritan Thomas Watson, in his little book on repentance, he, he said that one of the things that believers need to repent of is their repentance. Not because the repentance in itself is bad. No. But because it, it falls so far short. The life of conversion is a life of turning to the Lord from sin in sincerity. That means not only that our sorrow for provoking God by our sins must be a sincere sorrow of heart, but also that our joy in God through Christ must be a sincere joy of heart. And again, we see that in King Josiah's life. Look especially at the beginning of Second Kings 23 when he makes that, that covenant before the Lord. What did he bind himself to do in that covenant? What did he commit himself to do? He bound himself to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all the heart and with all the soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book of the covenant they had found in the temple. You see, he was, he was sincere in, in his joy in God and his delight and his love for God. We read too that the people also joined him in that covenant, but but sadly, by and large, we know from what happened after Josiah's death, we know from the book of Jeremiah who prophesied during this time that the people, most of the people, by and large, weren't sincere. They weren't really in it with heart and soul. They weren't really joyful in God. No, but deep down, they weren't interested in the Lord at all. But Josiah was. His joy, his delight in God, his love for God was real. It was sincere. It was wholehearted. Is that true? Is that true of you and me? It should be when, when we are true Christians. Josiah's life, you see, is an example to us of the life of conversion. And the Christian life is a life of conversion. And so the, what, what we're being called to in this text then is to not be half-hearted in our turning to the Lord. To not be hypocritical or insincere. To not be merely outwardly religious. But to seek to have and to grow in this sincere joy of heart in God. Through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're being called to be like Josiah. Looking to the Lord in faith. And, and to live a life of turning to Him. With all of our heart and with all of our soul. And with all of our might. When we do that, it will show. And that brings us, that brings us to our third point. The life of conversion is a life of turning to the Lord in obedience. 
Our text says that there was no king like Josiah either before or after him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might according to all the law of Moses. You notice that last phrase? According to all the law of Moses. The law of Moses that was really the law of the Lord through Moses. And so what that phrase is saying is that Josiah's life was a turning, a life of turning to the Lord in obedience. That's what the life of conversion is. We read earlier from answer 91, it's not only a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ, but with love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. Now, how did Josiah's life demonstrate that? Well, we can think of the covenant that we just mentioned, the covenant he made. You can think too of the Passover, can't you? His command to keep the Passover. Why, why did he command the people to keep the Passover? Not because he came up with it himself and thought, well, this is a good idea. No, but because it was according to the will of God. It was written in the book of the covenant that they had found in the temple. And, and so when that was read to him and he heard it, he obeyed. You see, that's the life of conversion. That's the, that's the Christian life. How important it is to remember that. The Christian life is not doing whatever we feel like. Nor is it serving God the way we think, with whatever way we want to, but it's living according to His law with love and delight. And yes, that looks different, of course, in some ways than it did in Josiah's day. We're not commanded to keep the Passover anymore because Christ has come. He is our Passover. But we're not free. That doesn't mean we're free now to live however we want. Titus 2 verses 11 to 14 says that the purpose of the grace of God that brings salvation is to teach us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, in conformity with the law of God and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Why? That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar or special people, zealous for good works. In other words, God's purpose in saving us by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, is that we might live a life of obedience to Him, that we might walk in all good works, which the Catechism, on the basis of Scripture, rightly clarifies are only those which proceed from a true faith, are performed according to the law of God and to His glory, and not such as are found in our imaginations or the institutions of life. So the, so the question is, is, is that how we're living? Are we living a life of obedience to God? None of us do that perfectly. Of course, Josiah didn't either. That's why the Christian life is a life of conversion. It's a life of pursuing and seeking by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to live in obedience, to grow in obedience to the Lord. 
as he teaches us through his word how we are to live in thankfulness, in thankfulness to him for his great salvation in Jesus Christ. In the coming weeks, we hope to work our way through the Ten Commandments. And the question is, how will we, we respond to them? As we're confronted with and, and convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit of our sins and, and shortcomings, will we just ignore them? Will we make excuses for our, our failures and just go on the way we, we have been? Will we do nothing or will we, in reliance on the Holy Spirit, turn to the Lord in humble, sincere obedience like Josiah? That's what we're called to. We're called to live the life of conversion. We're called to follow the example of Josiah, turning to the Lord from sin, in sincerity and in obedience. But maybe you think... How in the world, how in the world can we do that? We cannot convert ourselves. It's true. So how do we do this? What's the secret to this life of conversion? Secret to this life. It's not really a secret at all. It's Jesus Christ. He calls us all to come to Him. And it's by coming to Him and by abiding in Him and by beholding the glory of Jesus Christ that we, that, that's, that's how we, we experience the life of conversion. That, that's how we become converted. We don't get converted to come to Jesus Christ. No, we come to Jesus Christ to get converted. Because it comes from Him. And that's why you find in the Bible the prayers of God's people. Turn us, O Lord. They're turning to the Lord in Jesus Christ. And so as we, as we go through these commandments, that is a, needs to be our prayer. Lord, turn me. Convert me. And help me not just, don't convert me just initially, but increasingly. Transform me into the image of Jesus Christ. So let's live then in that way. Let's live the life of conversion, looking to and relying on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray.